0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time
1: time for Taiwan This Week.
0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular ICRT commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening, Gavin. And Taiwan This Week, also regular commentator Klaus Badenhagen, who reports on Taiwan for German media. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing the World Health Assembly, the latest local election news, China's insistence that global airlines refer to Taiwan as Taiwan China, some KMT bigwigs being banned from attending a forum in China and a rather odd and somewhat questionable plan to stop macaques from destroying farmers' crops. But we'll begin with foreign affairs. Minister Joseph Wu tendering his resignation on Thursday, and that came shortly after Burkina Faso announced that it was severing ties with Taiwan. Now, although Burkina Faso has not announced plans to establish diplomatic ties with Beijing, the government here says it believes that China was the sole factor in the African country's decision to sever ties with Taiwan. The foreign ministry says it was aware that Burkina Faso could be seeking to sever ties with the island as. Early as last month. Of course, that's when Tsai Ing-wen travelled to Africa and didn't stop in Burkina Fasa. And the Foreign Ministry also says that the African country failed to speak up in support of Taiwan this week at the World Health Assembly in Geneva. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen says that recent actions by China to pressure Taiwan reflect Beijing's anxiety and lack of confidence due to the progress the island has made in building economic and security links with like-minded countries. And she's also being quoted as saying on a few of today's main newspapers, that her government will no longer tolerate such actions from China. Now, if you're interested, Burkina Faso established diplomatic relations with Taiwan in 1994, and a statement issued by the government of the African country said that its decision to cut ties with Taiwan was based on the desire to defend the interests of Burkina Faso and its people in the concert of nations. So I'd like to say I was surprised by this, Ross, but you're going to tell me we shouldn't be, so... There we go. Burkina Faso, this is two in how many months?
1: Oh, in fact, with regards specifically to Burkina Faso, there were uh, some people in the foreign policy community here in Taiwan who within the last few weeks had identified Burkina Faso as a very likely candidate to terminate relations with the Republic of China on Taiwan. So from that perspective, we shouldn't be surprised that, A, they didn't speak up at the WHA, and B, that they made this announcement. Uh, the model here could be similar to Gambia on, uh, rather than the Dominican Republic, where in 2013 Gambia kind of rushed ahead of Beijing's wishes and announced it was terminating ties with Taiwan and it took a Two plus years until China actually established formal relations with Gambia. I would expect that China and Burkina Faso will establish diplomatic relations much faster than that, especially because it helps Beijing further humiliate Tsai Ing So it, it behooves the government in Beijing to move rather quickly on this, although it does seem that it's a bit distinguished from Dominican Republic, where the foreign minister uh, appeared in Beijing and they had a nice ceremony and issued a communique.
2: Well, it it feels like we've been through this whole diplomatic ally switching sides thing so often that it's almost hard to come up with anything new to say here. But especially the short time that passed since the Dominican Republic. I mean, does this mean that maybe Beijing, if it's behind this, is now like turning up the pressure? Do they want to switch from uh, symbolic policy towards psychological warfare? Do they want to appear more unpredictable towards the Taiwanese or in the eyes of the international community?
1: Well, the, the concern here is not so much Beijing, actually, it could be that at its own initiative, Burkino Faso did this, which means the other remaining uh, 18 or countries, or uh, 17 plus the Holy See, Vatican, uh, might also, at their own initiative, start to do this. And there'd be a very understandable reason why they would do this. They don't want to be the last of the few to switch, because they'll get the smallest amount of financial aid, or trade, or other benefits from Beijing. So for the remaining countries, you actually do want to 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 the front of the queue, rather than be at the back.
2: On the other hand, I think we had 16 of the diplomatic allies speaking out for Taiwan at the WHA right now. So.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I would actually, uh, w- with all due respect to the hard work of Taiwan's diplomatic corps, I wouldn't put too much value on that because uh, when a country switches uh, diplomatic recognition up until the moment that they do, they generally uh, express their support for Taiwan, whether uh, very overt, like a statement at the WHA, or just generally in the preceding months when there's high-level visits, uh, ministers from Taiwan go to those countries, or there ministers... Or presidents, prime ministers from those countries come to Taipei. Uh, there, there's always smiles and, and statements of our enduring friendship right up until the moment when the ties are switched. So uh, again, I, I wouldn't put too much emphasis on the long-term value of statements made at the WHA this year.
2: So apart from the Vatican, which other L- uh, diplomatic allies high on your? List of suspicious activities. Well, there's certainly
1: the obvious ones. Uh, Haiti would be an obvious one. Nicaragua, given that its leader is uh, a sometime former kind of communist, uh, so there'd be some fraternal ties there with China. Uh, and I, I think he wanted to do it in the past. He was held back by Beijing during the Ma administration, and then he was kind of left behind. Panama, uh, El Salvador, Honduras. Uh, they they all have their own uh, incentives for, you know, from from their own national perspective. Why uh, the timing is good to do this yesterday, not not months from now or years from now. Uh, so you, know, you take your pick. Uh, Vatican, um, they'll want to do it when it behooves their interests to expand the services that they provide to the Catholic community in China. And it will be kind of difficult to begrudge any of these countries when they do that, because all the other major countries around the world have already done the same thing. So I don't think it's fair to make the, the, the moral guilt argument when, when the remaining countries switch, because they're just following what most other countries have already done.
0: And, of course, I mentioned that Tsai Ing-wen was quoted as saying that her government will not tolerate any such similar actions by China. I mean, so, Klaus, what could she do? What could her government possibly do?
2: And that's a tough talk, and it may sound nice to the Taiwanese, but there's not a lot that she can do. So she can try to raise um, Taiwan's voice even uh, more strongly on the international stage, play even more to the soft power card, um, not hold back that much in criticizing China in her statements but if the international community or the international media pick that up and if it changes anything that's another question
1: well we don't know what's going to happen with uh, public reaction uh, there'll, there'll be polls judging or, or asking about foreign policy in general, cross-straits policy, and and Dominican Republic and Burkina Faso will certainly impact uh, those poll results, whether in the near term or the medium term. Uh, But I think it remains to be seen whether her tough talk at at her public remarks last night that that Klaus just mentioned will... uh, generate public support for her policies or her cross-strait policy specifically. I think that remains to be seen. It it was a a strong set of remarks that she made. She was obviously very critical of China's behavior on a number of issues, not just the diplomatic recognition switch, but also uh, keeping Taiwan out of the WHA and some other items that she identified in her remarks. Uh, But whether the public will rally around her because of that one tough speech, I I think it's just premature to say that.
0: And of course, you also mentioned in the speech that the the more such action that Beijing takes that sort of denigrates Taiwan the more the international community rallies around the island. I mean, how, what are you reading to that, Ross?
1: Well, again, uh, that also remains to be seen because, uh, as Klaus has said, uh, we, we've been through this before. Uh, it often just plays out the same way. The president makes a, a speech or, or other members of the Taiwan government make strong remarks condemning China. And this is basically the pattern that occurred when the DPP was previously in government from 2000 to 2008, when China was persuading countries to switch recognition. Uh, the other countries in the international community that are close to Taiwan, such as the United States, and sometimes some of the more uh, larger countries in the European Union— Uh, Will speak out, whether it's the governments or members of Congress or, in the case of Europe, members of parliaments. Uh, But long term, does that really make a difference? Does that change China's actions, whether it's at the WHA or other international organizations to restrict Taiwan's participation or getting countries to switch recognition? History tells us that the strong remarks by Taiwan's leadership, again, whether it's the president or members of the president's uh, leadership team, uh, remarks by members of parliament in Europe, uh, remarks by the State Department spokesperson or members of Congress, does not change China's behavior.
2: Yeah, Taiwan's also walking kind of a um, fine line here in terms of public diplomacy. I mean, they want to appear as being assertive, but they must be careful not to come across as the perpetually complaining victim here because nobody likes Nobody likes a victim. And, well, that's a danger of falling back to the Shui-bian days when he could not do much more than, um, well, appeal to the international community and um, in terms of UN membership back then and um, just um, basically always stress how unfair China and the rest of the world are treating Taiwan. But you can only do that so long and then people just don't want to hear that anymore.
0: And we'll continue to another topic now, which is basically the same type of topic anyway. And this is the drama unfolding in Geneva on the sidelines of the World Health Assembly now. Now, Health Minister Chen Shih-jong filed an official complaint with the World Health Organization this week, expressing the government here in Taipei's outrage and dissatisfaction over Taiwan's exclusion from the annual meeting of the global health body. And according to Chen, the letter described the WHO's decision to deny Taiwan's participation at the World Health Assembly as being a blatant political interference in the well being and health of the island's 23 million people. Now, China's delegation told the WHA that Beijing cares about the health and well being of Taiwan's people, and their delegation also went on to say that they helped make arrangements for Taiwan to take part in global health projects under the principle of One China. Well, needless to say, folks here in Taiwan shot that down with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs describing Beijing claims that Taiwan has participated in almost all of the World Health Organization's technical meetings over the past five years as a brazen lie. So here we go. Drama, drama, drama. Now, according to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Taiwan applied to take part in 154 World Health Organisation technical meetings between 2009 and 2017, but was only accepted into 46. Now, Taiwan's health minister has held some talks on the sidelines of the WHA. How many he's held, we don't know. And this is interesting, because in previous years, the big story was we're holding meetings with these people on monday and tuesday we're holding meetings with these people on wednesday and thursday but that's been a bit quiet this year ross now you once coined the phrase pity parties
1: yeah pity parties is when you're not invited to the main event so you have your own event on the sidelines and people come over and visit you and say nice things uh they say that's too bad that you're not allowed to participate in the main event We're we're still glad to see you here at, and uh they go. They leave. They go back to the main event after that. that, that that's what the pity party is. Uh, it, it seems that Taiwan is still doing that. Again, rather than, uh, you know, as Klaus was talking about earlier, so a somewhat more aggressive response would be uh, to, to say, well, we want no part of an organization that wants no part of us. Uh, banging on the door repeatedly, uh, no matter how Taiwan phrases the issue or frames the issue i should say uh, has not gotten taiwan entry and all the statements of support again similar to the diplomatic recognition issues by members of parliament by governments uh saying we hope to see taiwan substantive participation has not resulted in any change in taiwan's status so uh having the pity party, even if it's more quiet, but that they are doing that, Gavin, as you know, I and mean, yeah, they are, yeah. oh, they are yeah. saying, here's who we met, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and they were very, of course, the, the top list would be the United States Health, health Secretary. So that's that's the big one. And, and once again, Taiwan's Minister of, of Well uh, Health and Welfare uh, met with the US uh, counterpart. So of course, they immediately rushed to say that this occurred. Uh, but ultimately, it did not get Taiwan observer status this year, just like last year.
2: Something else comes to mind here in what Taiwan could do to actually strengthen its cloud abroad. For example, we just had a delegation of German parliamentarians here visiting, and they all belong to the Conservative Party in Germany. So I think not only in Germany, also in other European countries, U.S. as well. Taiwan has a really hard time reaching out to the more progressively minded uh, parties, the more liberal parties. A lot of their allies... um, U.S. Republicans are st- still coming back from the days when to stand for Taiwan was to stand against communism. That's all good to have these relationships, but Taiwan really needs to expand the relationships it has into the more uh, liberal and progressive circles in other countries. Because but but Klaus, as you know,
1: European liberal parties have long had a bit of a love affair with the communists in China,
2: well, the Social Democratic Party in Germany, I don't think you could really say that. I mean, they are part of the government and they're the second largest party. But there's almost no no one there where Taiwan has cultivated really close relationships.
1: Well, I, but, but Taiwan is also a, a, the DPP, I should say, is also a member of international groupings of progressive political parties. So uh, I would push back on your remark, but I would say the DPP has tried that. And it just ultimately comes up against the practical realities that these other countries are not going to jeopardize their commercial relationship with China uh, over... Uh, doing too much to let Taiwan uh, participate in international organizations, So they make these statements, which is empty talk. We, we have to be frank here. It's empty talk. Because unless these countries are also going to walk out of the WHA over this issue, it's empty talk. So you, you get spokespeople or members of parliament, whether it's a, a left of center or right of center government in, uh, in Europe or, or opposition party, whatever it is, you get these statements of support for Taiwan's participation. But ultimately, it means nothing because they still participate in the event. So they're not walking out as a matter of principle and support of Taiwan and again that's because they don't want to jeopardize their their commercial interests, and, and that's understandable um, they're, they're doing what everyone else is I mean if, if Germany was to jeopardize its commercial relationship with China over Taiwan's participation in the WHA uh, there, there'd be another European country or United States or Canada would, would immediately look to fill the void so uh, You you can't really blame them, but uh, I I don't think these statements of support or or getting more, uh, whether it's from the left or the right in in Europe, um, you know, getting more progressive political parties or parliamentarians to say more in support of uh, Taiwan is is really going to change something like the WHA.
2: I agree that it's pretty hopeless to try to influence acting governments because in their role as government, there's just so much they can do in regards to China. But reaching out to parliamentarians is another thing because they can act more independently and they do so but it seems like there's only a certain group of parliamentarians so far that's uh, mostly interested in taiwan it just seems like some opportunities for building relationships are being lost there
0: and we shall stay in the same vein and we'll move on to beijing's orders that foreign airlines refer to taiwan as taiwan china on their global websites now of course the deadline for this is up today and of course china is demanding that the airlines refer to Taiwan China on their pull-down menus on their websites, in order to respect China's territorial integrity and sovereignty, its laws and the feelings of the Chinese people. Now, it does appear that Beijing is notching up yet another victory in its campaign to get both governments and private companies to agree with its insistence that Taiwan be referred to part of China. Now, of course, this is what the White House has described as Orwellian nonsense. But apparently, of the 36 international airlines that Beijing called on to change Taiwan's designation on their websites... More than half, in fact well over half, have done so and they include British Airways, Lufthansa and Air Canada. Now Chinese media is also playing its part, or the part of the government as we we should say, with the Global Times making a red hoarding on its website and it listed 23 airlines earlier this week that have changed their names as requested and it had a black hoarding with the airlines who have yet to comply So, Lufthansa Klaus, British Airways, mate, we're not looking too good here, are we?
2: (laughs) No, we are not. So, actually, I contacted them like a month ago, six weeks ago, um, to tell me was this connected to China or what was the reason. And all I got from the Asia office was a pretty weaselly standard answer where they just said, we are always adhering to all the relevant regulations, period. They did not even admit that it was because of this letter from China. So um, yeah, I mean, people who care about Taiwan, they're angry looking at this. Most other people just don't care. Um, the Merkel, Merkel is in um, Beijing right now. The other day, before she went, her spokesman was asked about Lufthansa, and he said, "What? What development? Lufthansa? We don't know what you're talking about." So um, yeah, that's not high on the agenda. Now, on the other hand. My um, email exchange with Lufthansa. Lufthansa letter them correcting the designation of Taoyuan Airport because they had still listed it as Chiang Kai-shek Airport until then. I made them aware of that, and that has changed now. So that's some minor success here, I think.
1: The concern here is that uh, China has utilized a legal device as. Klaus alluded to in the Lufthansa response, that we just comply with laws and regulations where we do business. So China has its anti-succession law, law. it has uh, a regulator issuing letters to, to... foreign companies, uh, airline aviation regulator, and that scares big companies when, when something is placed in a legal context and you face potential fines or, or other sanctions for violating or in the views of the Chinese government violating their laws, regulations, or circulars from a regulatory agency. It's very different than a foreign ministry spokesperson or a Taiwan Affairs Office spokesperson making some remark about how we hope other countries understand the feelings of the Chinese people and don't view or treat Taiwan as an independent country. So when it's in the context of laws and regulations, it becomes very difficult uh, for for companies not to comply. So China has played this one very, very well. And we, again, have to look at the commercial reality to take a case of whether it's a Lufthansa or an Air Canada, other airlines that might have one daily flight, international airlines might have one daily flight to Taipei, and they have multiple daily flights to China. So Air Canada, multiple daily flights nonstops from Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, to Beijing and Shanghai. So the, the numbers are disproportionately in favor of their China business. And they have obligations to their shareholders. Most of these companies are public companies. They're they're not just 100% owned by governments. Even if they were, that would make it uh, very difficult for them uh, not to comply with China's wishes as well, because then it does become a matter of the political diplomatic relationship when it's a state-owned airline. Uh, But for larger global airlines, which are listed on stock markets, they have obligations to their shareholders. They cannot jeopardize this large and, frankly, growing business uh, with air traffic between China and their home country. Country. Again, Air Canada being a good example where they're flying from multiple cities in Canada to multiple cities in China. And, and for Taipei, it's one daily flight between Toronto or, or, or Vancouver and, and, and Taipei. So, so the business is just disproportionately in favor of what they need to protect in China.
2: Yeah, I think the only thing to really look out for now is how are the American airlines going to react, even though the White House, even though senators told them, we got your back, uh, don't give in to this. I mean, you're an American lawyer, right? What, what do you think? How will they? What will well, they again, it's, it's a
1: legal and regulatory concern, and, and uh, it's the Lufthansa response. I, w- I would expect a lot of other airlines to frame it that way. I think it's unlikely that the U.S. government would punish their airlines for changing the name designation on the airline's website that the, of, a, of a foreign airport. Right, uh, so the the airlines are stuck, but but we have to again look at this realistically. If we were the senior leadership uh, of an airline American, German, Canadian, uh, what would our decision be? And, and we would have to look at the commercial interests here.
2: Well, there's been one argument made that may be a bit uh, formalistic, but if Beijing says you are not allowed to list Taiwan as not belonging um, to China. Well, someone said, okay, look at these lists. First of all, a lot of them don't say countries. They say countries and regions. And if you look at them, there are places like Puerto Rico and Guam, and they are listed under P and under G. And they, it does not say Guam, USA. It does not say Puerto Rico, USA. So um, actually, China could not make the argument that just by listing Taiwan under T and not Taiwan, comma, China, you insinuate that Taiwan is not being a part of China. You could still interpret it both ways.
1: That worked for a long time. But clearly the, the Chinese leadership has taken a, a decision as a matter of strategy not to tolerate that anymore. And uh, they they would obviously push back on, on a comparison with, with Puerto Rico or, or Guam, uh, and frankly, they would probably say it has nothing to do with us because uh, China uh, Taiwan is a province of China just like any other province, and we expect it, it to be clearly listed that way, and, and we're telling you what we expect if you want to do business in our country, which is their sovereign right. So the airlines do have the right to walk away, but as I said, they're not going to walk away. So uh, uh, unfortunately for not just airlines but other multinational companies, and we've seen this over the last few months, that... A uh, kind of compromise approach that they used in the in the past a kind of uh, neutral designation for certain places whether it was puerto rico or gibraltar uh or, or taiwan it's not it looks like it's not going to work going forward
0: anyway we shall move on and we'll take a short break now but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials And welcome back to Taiwan this week. Now we've spent most of the first half of the show, in fact the entire first half of the show, talking about cross-strait issues, and we're going to continue that vein with the National Immigration Agency this week rejecting applications by two KMT heavyweights to attend a forum in... China in Shaman to be exact in June. Now the NIA rejected an application by KMT Vice Chairman and Secretary General Tsang Yongquan and a similar application by KMT National Policy Foundation Vice Chairman Ling jong Sun. Now Tsang served as Presidential Office Secretary General while Lin was the former Chairman of the Straits Exchange Foundation and both of them served in those roles under former President Ma Ying Now a review committee from the National Security Bureau the Ministry of the Interior, the Ministry of Justice and the Mainland Defence Council rejected the applications on the grounds that the former officials were privy to sensitive information. Okay, they're allowed to do that. But sadly, the Mainland Affairs Council took it rather far. And they also released an additional statement in which they said that rejections were related to the hostile actions Beijing has taken against Taiwan recently, including military drills, the sabotaging of diplomatic ties and the exclusion of Taiwan from the World Health Assembly. And they ruled that it meant it could be detrimental to Taiwan's national interest for the two previously high-ranking officials to go to China right now. Now, you had a problem with that, didn't you?
1: Well, the the criteria to evaluate whether or not it's appropriate for them to go should be whether uh, there's any danger to national security, revealing any secrets that they may have learned while they served in government, uh, keeping in mind that their time in government ended uh, over two years ago. It's hard to imagine that they have any secrets that isn't already known by the public, given so little is kept secret here in Taiwan, especially when it comes to whatever a government's policies towards China are. And we all know what the Ma government's policies towards China were. So uh, to, to say that China hasn't been very nice lately, which is stating the obvious, whether it's military exercises, diplomatic relations with Dominican Republic and Burkina Faso, or the WHA, is a reason to deny them going. Uh, I, I don't think that's really what the applicable criteria is. The, the criteria really should be whether they're going to reveal some secrets, they're going to fall into a honey trap, uh, they're going to get uh, drunk and, and talk about some national secret, security secrets that, that Taiwan needs to protect. The, I don't think the government um, proved that case. They just said China's been really bad, so we don't want some former presidential office officials going to a seminar in China.
0: Okay. I mean, could, do you think the Klaus? Do you think the government could have been afraid that China could have waved them in front of their media and used them basically to belittle the Thai administration even more?
2: Basically, calling them potential traitors. You mean? Um, I know. I mean, it doesn't look too good. On the one hand, this law is one of the few. Ways the Taiwanese government has to still influence uh, cross-strait interactions and relations right now. On the other hand, it looks like the governing party arbitrarily ruling on officials from the opposition party, from the former ruling party. And I don't know. I think what you need here are some clear regulations. You saying everybody cabinet level or above is not allowed to go to China for six years or whatever. So just case-by-case case ruling always smacks off arbitrary decision-making.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is under the Classified National Security Information Protection Act, what a mouthful, officials who have handled classified information are required to obtain approval before leaving the country for a period of three years after retirement or resignation.
1: Right, so they have less than a year before that time expires. Uh, what secrets do they have today that aren't already stale or publicly known that, won't, that would need to be protected between today and, and 360 days from now when they reach a three year? from when the Ma government ended. It's, again, the government just hasn't made a strong case for protecting national secrets or national security. They only made a case that China isn't very nice to Taiwan as, as a justification for banning travel. And, and banning people's travel choices uh, is a serious human rights issue, and, and those decisions should not be taken lightly by a government to prevent people from traveling where they want to go. Uh, and I, I don't think the case has been made here, although very interesting that the reaction from the KMT was somewhat muted.
0: It was very muted, in fact. They
1: immediately uh, proposed uh, someone else. It looks like former Taipei mayor uh, Halongbin is is going to go to this event in in Xiamen. Uh, And part of that is, we have to keep in mind, this is a cross-straits forum. It's not the party-to-party forum that also periodically takes place. So... The KMT also has to propose people to attend that event in a few months. And in case any of the, the people who they propose to attend that event are, are within the scope of the uh, secrets law that you cited earlier, Gavin, you know, we're going to have to go through this again in a few months. So, so well, well, that, that's part of why their reaction was muted, because they don't want to anger the government over of this issue.
0: KMT Chairman Udeni. Is already prepared to go through that, because he mentioned it this week, basically, yeah? Because he's already saying, well, the chances of me going are 50-50, and if we don't go, we'll have to send someone else. Well, how
1: do you, how do you deny the, the, you know, a former uh, official, one among many in the presidential office, uh, and then not deny the former vice president? Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty obvious <laughs> they're going to die. I mean, Klaus, if this happened the other way around, if this was the KMT in power banning DPP politicians and travelling abroad?
2: To China, <laughs> To, anyway. to other countries, yeah. Well, um, do they, they it, were, it would not look good either. You mean the the, the, the media reaction? The media would reaction?
0: Do you think the media reaction would be much more aggressive?
2: Yeah, but I think that's not the fault of KMT or DPP, but it's uh, the China factory because, of course, um, people are suspecting China of all kinds of uh, bad things, of espionage, of, as you mentioned, honey traps. So... Um, I think the factor is less which party is the one um, being investigated here but what's the destination and in this we respect China just has a special ring to Taiwan,
0: Anyway, we'll move on to this week's local election news. And the KMT announced two more mayoral candidates for November's ballot, those being former Taipei Agricultural Products Marketing Corporation chairman Hanguo Yu. Well, he won the party vote in Kaohsiung, while Gao Sebo won the party's Tainan mayoral primary. Now, all that happened as the Taiwan Brain Trust released its latest poll regarding the elections. Interestingly enough, that was slightly different from some other recent polls. Most notably, that it said that if basically the Taipei mayoral election is a two-way race, incumbent Kerwin Jiu will likely win, with a 41.3% support rating, while the KMT's Ding Jong had a 36.1% support rating. Now, the poll also said that if the DPP opts to run either Ya Yao or Annette Lu, then... Kerry's is likely to still win, which is a bit of a surprise. The new Taipei poll said that ho yo e stands. Above his rival, former Premier Sujong Chang. In Taoyuan, well, the incumbent mayor, Zhang Wen San, well, he was whipping Apollo Chen from the KMT. In Taichung, Lin Jia Long, the incumbent, was beating his KMT opponent, Lu Shou yen by about 9 percentage points. In Tainan, Huang Wei Zhe basically was beating his KMT opponent, the recently mentioned Gao su Bo, by over 20 percentage points. And in Kaohsiung, well, the DPP's Chen Chi Mai is leading the KMT. GMT's you by about 30 percentage points. So, Ross, a bit, bit early for polls like this, or sounds OK, sounds reasonable?
1: It's a bit early for polls because some of those persons have just uh, won their party's nominations on either side. So I think voters are still trying to get to know the candidates. So definitely... A bit premature, especially in the cities outside Taipei, where those candidates are newly nominated, uh, we also should be concerned about polls with such lopsided results that come from biased polling organizations, whether it 's uh, pro KMT media or uh, think tank or pro DPP media think tank because all these polling uh, all these organizations that commission polls, they clearly have their biases and it 's hard to find unbiased polls. In Taiwan, Uh, but we should revisit this in in a few months as the candidates uh, form their message. But I think one thing that those early polling results indicate is not just policy is important, but personality is as well. So is is the uh, candidate. Outgoing? Uh, Do 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 they connect well with people, or do they come across as somewhat distant? And I think uh, coming across as somewhat distant is something that has damaged candidates significantly in recent elections. For example, an inability to connect with young people, an inability to talk about an issue that uh, voters broadly are really concerned about, Uh, and I think we saw a lot of that in the 2014 local elections, especially on the KMT side, obviously, where they did very poorly, that a lot of the candidates just had an inability to talk to the voters and connect with the voters, and their messaging was very poor. And we saw that with uh, Sean, Lian, Lian Shengwen here in Taipei, who, who lost by a fairly large margin to a, a political newcomer, Ko Enzhe, but Ko Enzhe was just able to connect with voters. So that, that might partially explain why someone like a Gao Soboa is not uh, doing as well. You know, there was quite a lopsided difference that you cited in, in this poll with uh, Huang Weizhou, who's been a legislator from that area, uh, obviously has an ability to connect with voters, even though he's not the most dynamic of candidates, he's a, he's a very articulate candidate um, and politician. Uh, you know, he's not a, a rabble rouser. He tries to just get the job done. Um, but but obviously he talks about issues that the voters are very interested in, and that, that, that could be a handicap for some of the KMD candidates.
2: Sure. I mean, the voters uh, in the... Different counties and cities they decide based on um, they know the candidates they know which ones appear more trustworthy to them. they decide based on local topics, but in the end, when the election is over, what matters what will matter to people and observers on the national level and to international media of course is um, how many of these major metropolitan areas went the other way now did what did the k m t lose what did the d p p lose and so that that is what people are going to talk about if the DPP loses Kaohsiung or Tainan that would be a catastrophe for the party would make them look really bad if they lose Taoyuan or Taichung which they only won last time um, it would still be interpreted as the central government losing support here but on the other hand if they could take Taipei or new Taipei city then it would give the Tsai Ing-wen government a big boost here but it is still too early as you said because we don't even have
0: all the candidates yet And before we go this evening, because we'll wrap up the local politics there... There was an interesting interesting proposal this week by Agriculture Minister Lin Shen, who told lawmakers during a hearing that the government is studying the possibility of moving wild macaques to the outlying islands in order to both protect the primates and to stop them from damaging crops. Now, of course, we've talked about the problem of macaques before, and we've also talked about whether they should be removed or declassified as an endangered species, because there was talk about that several months ago where they would allow farmers to hunt and kill the wild primates if they destroy their crops. But this time, the government are thinking of moving them to the outlying islands, where macaques do not live or come from. I'm sorry,
2: which outlying islands are we even talking about? Here?
0: They were talking about Penghu was mentioned, the, the, um, a DPP representative from, from Xiaoliochou of Pingdong, was questioning he said we don't want them on our island yeah and these are all
2: islands where people are living i mean yeah yeah. did did they even bother asking them (laughs) why would they want a huge bunch of monkeys coming to the island
0: really that's the problem
1: well as as gavin said uh, the issue is whether or not to declassify these monkeys uh, from their protected status and maybe we need to keep this classified and we can't let the monkeys travel because they're classified right now is that what you meant gavin
2: yeah, who knows obviously. what kind of secrets <laughs> they carry? That's
0: true. It depends where they're going. Yeah, that's true. No, but obviously moving monkeys to places where they don't necessarily live or come from—they're well, not well, endemic species, are they? To right. So, so people.
1: obviously there would be significant risk to the to the uh, eco chain by moving these animals to places where they they are not native to, and it could damage other animals in the ecosystem. It could damage other types of plants or crops in those locations. So, we saw an immediate reaction um, by uh, the representative from Sialioche, as as you mentioned, the legislator, uh, who's probably very familiar with these kinds of issues, given how how important it is to preserve the environment uh, of these offshore islands. And it is something that Residents and and other stakeholders take very seriously here in Taiwan. Now, one thing Taiwan is is very good at. Uh, it actually benefits from the from many NGOs that look at different types of environmental issues, whether it's air quality, animal protection. Um, it's it's a very active space within within the sphere of public discussion, which is very good and, and uh, something other Asian countries should look to emulate. Actually, uh, so they will certainly speak up and make. The their voice is known, and they'll even have members of the Legislative UN who will take up their cause. What unfortunately often happens is, even after some public discussion, government will still act in the way that it wants to. They'll make an executive decision to implement this program. Uh, but hopefully uh, there will be a very, very thorough discussion about this before it's actually done. And if there is any danger
0: to these islands, then it won't be done. Maybe they could talk to a primate expert. Or could you adopt one, Klaus?
2: I would think about that. Yeah, I live on the top floor, so it could um, climb up to the rooftop, and I think it would no be no problem with the neighbours. Oh, they're okay.
0: They're okay. They, they tolerate me.
1: Class, class. What would you feed it?
0: Um, kitchen, kitchen leftovers, bananas. bananas. Always it's yeah. a monkey, isn't it? Hey, there course. you go. You're not adopting one, then, Ross. No. No, I'm a vegetarian. Well, here we go. (laughs) Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Good night. And Klaus Badenhagen. Nice being here. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And if you like the show, you may also want to check out Taiwan Talk, which along with Taiwan This Week